Hi, my name is Bryn Lankaitis. And my name is AJ Bryn. And we were asked today to read Psalm 100 for you guys by Pastor Tripp. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. We're so excited to meet you guys. And we love you guys already. Good morning, everybody. Um, so this week, I made you a playlist. Um, it is a cover, seven different covers of Psalm 100 was just read. And there is a soulful um, tune in there. There's something about called liturgical folk. There's a Chris Tomlin tune. There's a sweet ballad. There is uh, Ralph Vaughn Williams, Westminster Abbey's All People That on Earth Do Dwell. And then an acoustic version of that. There is a psalm from Africa, the Psalms Project of Africa. I think they're Ugandan. And I bring that up to you for you to listen to, and we'll talk about that at the end. But um, I haven't made a playlist uh, for anyone else but me since Prom 94. And Prom 94 for Amanda, and it was a, it was a hot playlist. It had the Smiths, it had little Chris DeBerg in there, Lady in Reds, and Van Morrison. Um, it had Cat, the, far, the ar artist formerly known as Cat Stevens. And Prince, who's the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. R.I.P. And the reason I say that is because I make, or I've made a mixtape because of love and because of a desire to have an experience. And I love you, and I want to, you to enjoy the richness of this and the beauty of this psalm. And so we'll send it out by our normal means, I guess. <laughs> um, and sometimes the, the Bible is quirky and mysterious and ancient and complicated. And sometimes it's like deeply and profoundly simple and straightforward. And this is one of those times where there's not a lot of explanation needed. There's no Hebrew that you have to know. There are seven commands. There are two causes or reasons or grounds or motivations for these commands. And there's a simple logic to it all. There are the what's and the why's. And we'll have those seven what's, and we'll have two of those why's. And then I want to talk a lot about how. The what's are really straightforward. The first one is to make noise. Some of the translations were shout. Talking to the whole earth here, right? Not just his people. The poet says to shout, to make noise, to yop. So children, we're going to need your help this week because something happens when you grow old, too easily happens when you grow old, is that we sometimes forget the joy of shouting, of, of, of making a noise. We forget all that. We grew too old for this thing. So what I would like for you to do, if you're here or there, or if you're there now, or at some time during the day, I want you to turn your eyes heavenwards and just go, Thank you! And just thank God as loud as you can. And hey, 
you big kids, you know, those over 25, you can do the same. Shout, make a noise, the first command. The second is to serve, and, and sometimes it's translated worship, but it's better to translate it as serve, to realize that, that we are not leading this praise that comes from this hymn, that no one comes into worship in charge, that it's not about us or our preferences, it's not about our particulars, but it's about our yielding and serving and relying upon him. We are servants of God, his people, his neighbors, our neighbors. We are here for his bidding and not our own. And then it says, come into his presence with singing. There's a reason why we sing at the beginning of a worship service and why there's time of music beforehand. It's to get us a humming, get our hearts a humming a bit, right? Uh, That we could be attuned and in tune with each other before the God that we serve. Preparing your hearts for worship is not like a um, commercial break. It isn't, it's coming into his presence and readying, taking a deep breath, readying our hearts and souls and bodies to encounter him. And he calls us to do that. And then he says, know, know that I am God. We don't just tune our emotions. We tune and turn toward God himself, toward the lyrics of his word, the scriptures themselves, and the word, the Lord Jesus. Worship is never just thinking worship thoughts, but it's never less than engaging your brain, your mind, as well as your heart. It is a deep physical, emotional, mental knowing of God that includes your intellect toward the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then it says to enter his gates. And entering his gates is is going into the temple. There are several gates all around the temple, and this is a picture of them being flung open, right? For people to enter, for the earth to enter. A house of prayer for all people. We're going to talk about this a good bit in the how. Then there are two more. One that has been concentrated on all service long, and that is to give thanks. I don't think there's a more simple reality than gratitude, and yet one that is so difficult for us to hold to. It is utterly countercultural. It is socially disruptive. It's relationally healing. It's radically disorienting in its posture. But it's the most important thing a human can embrace towards God. See, The the psalm orders us to give thanks. And it orders us in both senses of that word order. It's a command. It's not just an invitation. We are to give thanks to God. But it also orders us in the sense that it orients us, puts things in the right order. With he, the source and supremacy of all that is true and good and beautiful, to give thanks to him. Not because he's on some ego boost, but because that is where we and he make most sense. And then it tells us, lastly, to bless. To bless. It sounds kind of odd when you think about it. How do you bless God? It's not like we add anything to him, right? We don't bestow any actual value on him. 
we, we, we don't increase um, anything in him, in his person. No, it's different than that. It's actually taking all that thanksgiving and letting it transform into honor, to worship, to veneration, to exaltation of his very person. So those are the what's. Make noise, shout, serve, come into his presence, know, enter his gate, give thanks, and bless. Okay. I read this psalm and listened to it probably 50 times this week. And not every day did I enter in the same way. So how do you hear this psalm? Do you hear it as a welcome, a sweet beckoning to your soul? Do you hear it as a longing to experience the praise that may have been so experienced in the days past by you? Does it conjure a sense of despair toward this epidemic or some frustration about streaming services, just longing only to get together as a whole? For some of you, does it sound corny? Praise the Lord. Or is it inaccessible? Is it like a Pollyanna's platitude amid a world that's raging against itself? Does it strike deep to the soul and erupt in songs and hymns and spiritual songs? Does it make you mad? Sad? Glad? Does you, do you experience it more like doxology or despair? This is why we need the wise. Because a command without a cause is only a burden. And commands alone will lead you to self-reliance and religious performance, which are by their very nature turning away from God. The whys are as straightforward as the what's, though. And they're in verse 3 and in verse 6. Verse 3, it is very simple. He is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. He's He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And not just God, but if you see those capital letters that are in some of the texts, L-O-R-D, it's Yahweh. He is God with a name. He has a history with his people and with all the earth. And he created us and created all things. I want you to sit in this for a minute. Don't just hum through the lyrics because it, it, we need to take the time to imagine all that he has said about himself in this. He is the creator and sustainer of all life. You will take 20,000 breaths today. Let that take your breath away. And when you're feeling skeptical, stop and really evaluate. Know that he is God. Mako Fujimura, incredible artist, also the cover artist for our daily prayer projects this month or this season. Perhaps the greatest thing we can do as a Christian community is to behold. 
Behold our God. Behold his work. So I want you to think about the design of a tree trunk and wonder about jellyfish and ant colonies and the fact that earthworms make a low-frequency noise that we can't hear. Go ahead and count the stars. Give it a shot. Try the sand. Stay attuned to the roar of the wind or oceans or the beautiful silence of a sleeping baby. Muse over mountains and molecules. And sometime in these evening rains, just go out and let the rain rain on you. He is God. These are not mistakes. They're creations of a creator. Savor them as they display the divine. He is God. He reigns. He is not those created things. He is its creator. He acts in the world. Nothing escapes him. Not neutrons or protons or electrons, and I think electrons are the real spinny things, so those are all under his control too. This is the God that we're called to know. So I double-dog dare you to just spend time, whether amid a humdrum hour or in the wee hours of the night or the chaos hour of, of, uh, in the middle of your day, and just know Yahweh is God. And it's okay if it moves you to experience a sense of awe or fear or unworthiness. Don't let the familiarity of thinking about God as a concept turn into trivialization. Sit in it. Human life is incomprehensible. All of life is incomprehensible without this why. He is God. Anselm, thousand years ago. Come now, little one. Turn aside for a while from your daily employment. Escape for a moment from the tumult of your thoughts. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know the tumult of my thoughts. Put aside your weighty cares. Let your burdensome distractions wait. Free yourself a while for God and rest a while in him. Enter the inner chamber of your soul. Shut out everything except God and that which can help you in seeking him. And then shut the door, it says, and seek. But remember that you seek a God who's already sought you. Because the other why is not just that he is God, but he is good. So there's a little mess up on the screen. Don't worry about it. The first one should be he is God, and the second one should be he is good. He is good, and the one under the how should be he is gate. He is gate. We'll get to it. Don't worry. So he is good. For the Lord is good. Again, the psalmist uses his name, Yahweh. He's familiar. He's familial. And he's a known God because he makes himself known to us. Y'all, a, a God without good is only terror, only fear, only unworthiness. But a God with goodness is known in love. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations, even 2020. Human life is incomprehensible without God, but it is unbearable if that God is not good.
he is good. Steadfast kindness, faithfulness, trustworthy over years and decades and centuries and millennia. And we deserve none of this. It's only by his mercy, his grace, his unmerited affection. Why do we enter worship, shout, or bless him? Because he's good, because he loves us. He loves us than we love more than we love our own. He loves us more than we love ourselves. That's why he calls us to him, because in him our disordered lives and loves and hearts find their true north. They find home. This is not just about praise in a pandemic, worship in a worldwide plague, because all of the regular brokenness and beauty of the world is still here. The virus that is sin and hate and death is still too much with us. But that does not have him turn his head and his face away from us, but toward us as God and as a good God at that. This may be it. (laughs) The hardest thing to comprehend, the simplest wise, that God is great and God is good, let us thank him. Not just good to the world, not just good to us, but also good to you. And so we turn to the how. This is a call to enter in and encountering the living Christ in any, in any circumstance whatsoever. And I want to sit here and linger on the hard reality that you have a home, a grounding, a gate to enter into, and a man from Nazareth who came to live and die and live again to be our gate. He is the location, the entry point, and the object of our praise and gratitude. I want you to think about how this psalm has been used and all the circumstances that it's been used. Of course, this is a literal call to gather at the temple. And y'all, I cannot wait to not preach to a little dot. And yet, it was sung also in Babylon, in Assyria, which is the equivalent of preaching to a big dot or little dot. It was sung among the lost tribes. It's sung today in prisons and palaces. It was sung on the first Thanksgiving. Half the people that were there, half the people that came died, and they sang this at the first Thanksgiving. It was and is sung every Friday in monasteries across the world. And for the Benedictines, also on Sunday evening. It is the jubilate of the Book of Common Prayer for the Episcopals. It became the soundtrack, the most important psalm in the Reformation and their hymn writers. It was sung at Queen Elizabeth's coronation, and I've seen the crown. So basically, I'm an expert in all things royal. And even today, in dozens of languages, in more dialects, in even more cultures, It's already been sung amid mud brick huts with thatched roofs, amid marbled floor places with ceilings vaulted higher than the trees, under roofs lit by a single bulb, and roofs that don't have any electricity in them. 
It's sung under further threats of violence in lands, still others in open fields and rolling hills. Others huddle into hidden rooms to escape the police or the vicious gangs that would disrupt and even kill them. This has been sung today. I read it almost every time, right before the bride walks down the aisle or path, because I've done it on mountainsides and simple parks and in living rooms and at the neighborhood theater on stage. How is this possible over a screen, a meeting in 25s or 50s or less, or backyards or on the Hawthorne grounds, or when you're alone at home with no one to share it with? Can you make a joyful noise with a mask? How have God's people sung this amid all the ostracization, Alzheimer's and sickness, amid heartache and disappointment, amid betrayal and injustice? There is one point to this sermon. It's possible because this hymn that has lasted and is probably the most popular in all of church and Jewish history has been absolutely and eternally transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a song. And Jesus covers this little ditty with his own kind of arrangement. His life doesn't change the melody but forms, and you know I don't know music very well, but modulations and brings on instruments and other harmonies and access to all who were enter in. All who would enter in. Whether you believe or you don't believe, or you're full of faith, or it is, it, you, you see it, it fleeing in you, the Psalms call an invitation to these seven postures are for anyone who would enter in the gate. The what's, they're there. There's the magic sauce of the special sauce of the wise, but the reality of the how only comes through Jesus the Christ. He's made us. He's remaking us. He calls us enter, to enter the gate, the gate that is himself. And that is the beginning, not the end. The beginning to enter in past that gate, to see his goodness, to see his godness, to experience him as one who opens the way. And the gate he opens to us is not like the temple gate made with human hands. It's not like playlists that I want you to experience. And it's certainly not like screens. The gate he opens is into a mystic communion with him and therefore each other. Because he lived for us. He died for us. He was resurrected for us to give us access and the comfort and joy and the gladness and the yops of making noise. And he rose to throw open the gates to life, to life eternal, which is both a statement of quality and enduring. After Jesus ransacked the temple in what can only be called a disruptive and vandalizing protest against those who would try to profit off God's mercy and make uh, uh, and, and lock the gates to his kindness and love and forgiveness. After he did this, folks were like, what authority do you have to do this? What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this, is what he asks. And he says, they ask, and Jesus says, destroy the temple and I'll build it in three days, which is a totally Jesus non-answer answer. And they're like, it took us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it back up in three days? John writes an explanatory note for us. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. 
after he was raised from the dead, not even then, but after he was raised from the dead, John tells us his disciples recalled what he said, and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus actually said, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here before you. The temple, the place where forgiveness and rest and right relationship with God would be. Jesus handed out forgiveness where any, to anyone who would humbly approach him. He acted like a mobile temple. Jesus' body, crucified and raised, is the temple, is the gate that we have access to, through. And he's tear, torn down all the gates of the temple, including rending the Holy of Holies from the top to the bottom. There's a dozen gates around the temple, and he's become them all. In fact, we can meet in onlines and backyards and still sing this song because we're not connected through Wi-Fi. We're not even fundamentally connected when we're in person, though you know I long for such a thing. It is beyond time and space, but we are connected through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus who is the gate. That's how we enter in. Abide in him. Friends, if you've never experienced this kind of freedom, this kind of covering, this kind of home, this true north, this psalm calls you to enter into Jesus the gate, to run through the gate, and experience the beauty of his kingdom, of his pastures, the fields of his love. And it's, it'll cost you. It costs all of us our pride, our anger, our self-reliance, our bitterness. You have to, the password is, entering through the gate, is admitting our sin and our rebellion against him. And that hurts. But it is where life is. It's because that's where he is, and he loves to meet us there. And for those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, it's really a lot of the same thing. We simply have the benefit of memory. So we come again. We return anew. We always begin here and live by this beginning, this gate. We abide in Christ because he abides in us. Back to the mixtape. Here's really what I want you to do. It's not a mixtape. Uh, I don't even have something that'll play tapes anymore. But it's a playlist. You can get the free Spotify version. Just seven songs. At some point this week. Just at some point. Sit. Quietly, if you can with others, if you'd rather not, it's okay. And turn up your volume as loud as you possibly can without the speakers crackling. (laughs) And just sit there and listen to the cover songs of the cover song, Jesus, The Gate. Give yourself to it. I promise you, he, in his great mercy, meets us there, even when we don't experience it fully. He meets us there. Run to him. Amen.